Welcome to the Fulfillment Project podcast, where we, the seekers, unite together to step into our higher selves and highest purpose. I'm your host, Simply Sarah, and I'm glad that we have found each other here today. My aim for this show is to give you some tools and strategies along with the awareness of emotional intelligence and intuition as you create a life and business from alignment, creating more joy and fulfillment every single day. Welcome back to the Fulfillment Project Podcast. I have a beautiful guest with me here today, Galena Savert. Hello, darling. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. We've just been chatting for like an hour since we hit record and we're, you know, we were going on this beautiful journey of you and you have such a beautiful story and, you know, immigrated to Canada and has been on such an amazing growth journey. Uh, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. So welcome. Thank you, babe. Me too. This is my first podcast. I know. Disclosure. We are popping your cherry. Yes, 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 yes. I needed this. I needed this so badly. It's nice when we can share our voice, uh, especially with all the growth work that you've done and, you know, all the wisdom that comes through that. I love, I love the word experiential wisdom uh, Mm -hmm. because I feel like we can learn so many things and we can take courses and study and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but Mm -hmm. actually living through growth and resolving trauma and finding modalities for healing. is just so beautiful. We can show up and share that wisdom. Yes, absolutely. Me too. Yes, yes. Um, you were telling me your story about uh, living in Russia previously and immigrating mm-hmm. to Canada when you were 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love for you to share with my audience because I was just like fascinated. Like, I was just floored when you were telling me that. So my first immigration started when I was just four years old, um, when my parents decided to move to Germany because there was just a really bad time back home. USSR was just falling apart just really unstable financially, even security wise, right? Safety wise. And so my great grandma is actually German. That's where my last name comes from. And so my dad decided that we're going to go and try um, the German route. And so we changed our last name to this last name to Sivert and uh, to pretend like we're German people to get citizenship there. And so, um, and so we moved there. My dad went there first. And then me and my mom joined him in about a year, I think, uh, while he set things up. And um, yeah, that was kind of like the first time kind of I that's one of my first memories is being in um in a train, um, maybe in Poland or something. We stopped at uh on one of the stops and we had our my dog, my little poodle with us, and uh he didn't have any documents. And so the people are like, we're going to just throw you out of the train. And my mom instructing me like to cry, just like on cue. And there I was just like following her instructions and just like started crying. And, um, and, uh, and they let us, they let us be. And then our friend met us in Poland at the border and he drove us through the border. And um, yeah, that was kind of like my first experience of, um, feeling a lot of uncertainty I think and a lot of fear and a lot of uh, but also seeing my mom and her power and and I remember we even we were in um in a hotel uh, for a couple of days and uh, they had all these ice creams like Snickers and Mars I remember and back in Russia like there didn't exist 
Um, and we just had like, I don't know, like 10 of them probably. And, and that was kind of like my first imprint of soothing with food. Um, and cause it tasted so good. And she, that was my mom's little, that's one of her patterns. And so learning right from modeling and so lived in Germany for a couple of years. That was cool. Um, a lot of experiences. I was young, I was, you know, four and a half maybe. So we left when I was seven already. Um, but I went to German school. Um, I was fluent in German, but also my parents had a really intense time because we were refugees. So they were working all these sort of like, you know, black market jobs at nighttime, you know, pulling weeds somewhere or something. And they would just party hard. They would party hard. And, you know, I, I've seen this kind of behavior since I was a little girl. I mean, they were amazing, uh, but also partied hard. And then we moved back home to, uh, to Russia. Actually, it was in Russia. It was, it was a country called Moldova. That's where I was born. Um, and um, I was, we, we, we arrived. And I remember my parents put me in like an American school. There was a first American school that opened up. And that's when I learned all my English. Um, but also my parents were really big into entrepreneurship. And so they had a big furniture business. Um, and also we traveled a lot. So it was, it was a great life, but it, a lot of uh, up and downs, a lot of instability, you know, I've seen my parents be kind of really well off and also be really poor. So a lot of like up and down scarcity type of stuff. Um, and then, uh, around, um, 11, maybe 10, um, my parents had, um, we had a big house invasion because they were kind of like uh, prominent figures at that point in our city. And uh, back then, you know, if you own a business, you have to pay a certain amount to somebody to protect you, like the mafia, right? So there was called the roof. And so you pay the roof um, a certain amount and people know how much you're making because, you know, you drive a certain kind of car and, you know, people kind of know how much money is going through your business because of how much you give them. And so my parents, um, we're home and my house, my, our apartment got broken into from like six. Um, we were, we lived on the sixth floor. So they came from the 10th floor from the roof and they propelled themselves on the side of the building. Wow. That's like right out of a movie. Yeah. I swear to you, it's crazy. We didn't even have a balcony. They propelled themselves on the side of the building and it was summertime. So it had that see-through, um, you know, the, the net, and so they cut out the net and they got through the kitchen and um, yeah, they jumped on them in the middle of the night with a bunch of knives and put them in different rooms and tortured them for a little bit. And uh, my parents just gave them the money really fast. There was a lot of money in the house because back then the banks were like untrustworthy. So you couldn't even keep cash anywhere. So everybody kept money at home, you know, in, in like light fixtures, all kinds of stuff, but they knew there was cash in the house. And so a lot of money, like a hundred grand, maybe back then, this was like a lot of money, yeah. cash. Yeah. I mean, a you know, hundred grand cash to, right now. Now, <laughs> are you kidding me? Right. And so, yeah. And so that was very traumatic too, for them. And for my dad, he already had like a pretty intense and dysregulated nervous system. And I think that just kind of drove him to the edge a little bit. And then after that, they were just like, we're out of here. And so about three years later, we immigrated to Canada um, and back to, back to zero, you know, back, back to zero. And so my, my mom, you know, cleaned houses, my dad drove a limo, you know, and they just worked really hard. And, and it was kind of like, it was a, it was a tough time, really. I remember 13 feeling like really insecure, 
you know, being kind of like an ugly little duckling, you know, not having the means also to, you know, get the clothes that I wanted and stuff. I remember grade seven was my first day at school um, at uh, Don Mills and uh, Shepherd somewhere where Fairview Mall was. <laughs> and uh, I was one of the only Russian kids in school, really. And I remember I was a, in the washroom and I had this T-shirt and this girl came up to me and she was like, are you not wearing a bra? And I was just floored. And I came home and I'm like, mom, what the, you know, I, how could you send me to school without a bra? But in Russia, nobody was doing that yet. Like we were still kids, but here all of a sudden there was this like awareness that now I was not a kid anymore. And my mom was a tomboy. So she's like, well, I didn't know. (laughs) And so that was kind of hard. And so it was just like, kind of like that hypervigilance started to come through and that insecurity started to come through and a lot of doubt Um, and, you know, I kind of experienced also some kind of its own, um, discrimination, um, culturally because we were just so different. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then high school was rough and, um, then it led me into just my twenties where I, uh, was a hot mess looking for love. In all the wrong places. Everywhere (laughs) I could find it, you know, especially with, 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 with men. And, um, you know, that was my big pull towards, it was boy crazy. And, uh, and you just wanted to have fun. And I met the right people in Toronto that could take me out. And we, we did all the things, you know, century room four nights a week, you know, remember those days. And it's just, it was wild and it was, and it was fun. It was wild, but it was so um unfulfilling because I had no idea who I was here I thought I had depth and I was this kind of like mature kid more or less but deeply emotionally unregulated mm-hmm. so just take things personally and get hurt really easily and uh yeah and uh that's kind of led me into my mid-20s yeah um I was boy crazy as well I feel like we have a lot of parallels mm-hmm. with our with our story I remember my mom even I think it was like grade seven or eight she's like why are you so boy crazy and I was like I don't know are we not supposed to like boys and I just mm-hmm. I didn't understand it and you know I can see now maybe there was that need to be seen um mm-hmm. need to be liked need to be loved uh cherish um along with most likely some daddy issues and you know we were talking mm-hmm. about that off air and mm-hmm. just looking for that masculine love um absolutely because really I think you know I remember thinking when I did my a lot of my trauma work you know our fathers are our first love really our first masculine love right that's the first man we love and if that man and you know my dad was an amazing because he's an amazing man but he has his own childhood stuff where he feels inferior in some areas and and um you know, he didn't have the sensitivity, the emotional kind of intelligence to understand that certain comments about, you know, body or weight or things like that could be really harmful to a developing little girl. And there I, he, there he was just dropping those things left, right, and center and kind of laughing about it. And there I was at 16, you know, extremely you know, yo-yo dieting and not feeling good about myself, feeling that I needed to desperately needing love and desperately needing to feel seen and desperately needing to feel like I was enough. But really, really, this is not about our dads, but really, uh, you know, a father should make their little girl feel loved and safe and cherished and you are more than enough, right? 
And maybe that will build like a secure foundation. But because there was no security there, because even my own father didn't love me the way that I was. So how could any man love me the way that I am? Of course, I had to be this other way. I had to be like extra hot or extra this or, you know, first, you, I remember trying to, you know, my first thing was like, I'm going to try to get them with my personality because here I am, this amazing girl. Yeah, I always knew that I was cool. And but, you know, that only work takes you so far, uh, you know, when you're young. And so and then and then what else do you, do you have left? You have your looks. And I remember being really hyper-focused on the way that I looked and really wanting to look a certain way. And, you know, the dieting thing came really early where, you know, I told you somebody called me fat in school. And, you know, hey, it, it happened for a good reason because it really started my fitness journey and it brought me deeper into myself. That was kind of like my first awareness into myself at 16. Um, it wasn't very healthy. Uh, you know, it kind of uh, took a, you know, I was afraid to eat for a little while there. Um, and only even now at 35, I would say 36 now, almost I, I have a healthy relationship with food and I don't think about what I eat. I just kind of intuitively know what to put in my body, what to not put in my body. But I had to really struggle for the last 36 years, um, with not knowing what to do and trying to follow somebody else and try to be seen a certain way because I thought that's what was wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I remember being very fixated on my looks as well. And I mm -hmm. mean, uh, we're both blonde, you know, pretty girls. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, you can flaunt yourself and you'll get that attention. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you almost become addicted to it and mm -hmm. see your only value there. At least like that, that was my story. Um, Absolutely. Re relationships are so interesting because you literally take like all of your shit and all of someone else's shit. And then you decide to come together. And without that conscious awareness or each person having done their own work or are doing their own work and in their own sovereignty uh, aware, it can create so much turmoil. And I know for myself, I have just so many dysfunctional relationships. And so I know you're in a beautiful partnership now with Nathan. Um, mm -hmm. What were the types of dynamics with your relationships previously? So my big relationship, well, you know, I was always, always seeing somebody, always seeing somebody. And, you know, they're usually the boys that were hard to get, of course. And the I, challenge, you know, I, right? <laughs> of course. I was always after the ones that were really hard to get, you know, the best looking ones, but the shit, you know, the assholes, of course, the bad boys, because they, you know, my dad is kind of a bad boy himself in that kind of way. He's a... Uh, and so, um, and somehow I always got them. I don't know. It was just like, it was just, I was determined because I would go to great length to do it, right? Like it wasn't, I, it was like a mission. And then at 25, I met uh, my, my ex-partner, David, in Toronto. And um, same thing, love at first sight. We had an amazing time together, a lot of similarity. We really deeply actually loved each other um, until, until my sort of dreams and my goals and my desires became like a problem. <laughs> in that relationship. And I remember feeling for many years really suffocated and stifled and feeling like I couldn't say what I really wanted to say. And when I did, it would just be taken completely out of proportion. And uh, he would really bring his own stuff into it. And um, there was a lot of emotion, react, very emotionally reactive. And I would become emotionally reactive because that's the container that I was in. 
And so sometimes I would be a certain way and I'm like, I'm not this person. This just makes no sense to me. And so by the end there, it felt like I was literally banging my head against the wall. That's the image that I would receive every conversation that we had. And I remember our last conversation, you know, we tried to make things work, you know, broke up five times already, came back a couple of times. And even because of him, I ended up getting my breast done. And uh, that's something that I'm looking to now get out of my body. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, a lot of very heavy kind of very, I felt like I needed constantly to be a certain way to, for him to love me or to, to feel loved by him, to meet his expectations and his needs. And it was never good. It was never enough. You know, no matter what I did, there was always something, always something. And by the end of it, I just said, I, I just, I, I feel nothing. I feel numb. I, I don't even know what, what love is at this point. Cause I, I, I hear, I love you, but I also kind of hate you at the same time. And I was just messed up myself. Cause I was like, kind of like talking to other people. Like, you know, I was kind of doing strange things at that point that did not feel good in my body and were not of my care. We're out of character for me, you know, but I was just desperate. I was desperate for soothing. I was desperate for some love, some kind of like somebody to see me in the way that I actually was not in the way that I was made out to be here. And so once I kind of severed ties with that, that was kind of like my, my fresh start at life. That's when, that's when I say kind of like, I, 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 that was my, my birth, my second birth after that relationship, you know, sometimes you really have to be pushed past beyond beyond what you think you can take and uh to reclaim yourself back yeah I think there's something beautiful about contrast as well because I like before I met Joe there was a couple of relationships and I got to the point where I knew exactly what I did not want you know just Mm -hmm. having it just so blatant of like I can't do this I can't keep repeating these patterns like this is not what I want um and so I think there's beauty in that contrast of seeing one side and then one in the other but it's interesting when you want that deep love and you want that deep connection and we'll talk about communication mm-hmm. it's like well, how do I do that mm-hmm. you know how do I have the uh, intimacy that I want and the depth of the relationship and I know we'll get into that of really that healing of yourself so tell us about meeting Nathan and the sparks of all that Nathan yes that was a beautiful story we have a really beautiful story so I was doing my NLP training at that point I just has I have just come back from being three months in Costa Rica just like finding my inner goddess dancing in the jungle the whole nine yards drinking ayahuasca just (laughs) feeling on top of the world and like really I came alive in Costa Rica that's I call it my soul land um because truly that, that that land brought me to life and um, I have a lot of people there to be thankful for also to show me this new way of living um, that I was unconscious to, that I was resisting. Um, but I remember I came back and I was just determined to get into my stuff. Because I was just, I mean, I was just a little baby at that point. I, I thought I was like, I knew what was happening. But really, I was just coming alive. You know, the goddess was just like the butterfly. I was just kind of getting aware of the wings, not even finding her wings, getting aware of her wings. And so um, did my NLP training with a really good company in Toronto. And uh, in my master training, I met Nate and he flew from Alberta to do the training there. And at that point he was going through his divorce and um, he was doing a lot of self-development for himself and a lot of therapy and a lot of work addressing his own stuff. And I remember um, first day, 
of course, me and the boys always, you know, I'm always one of the guys, you know, him and his another, another two guys, we went for lunch. And I remember at that point, I was just like talking to the shaman guy and he was into polyamory. I was talking to another guy from Costa Rica and I was just like, I'm just going to like see where this takes me. Like, I don't want to be committed to like a certain way of being. And I remember telling them like about all these things that I was doing, obviously no agenda because we're all here in a training together. I wasn't even thinking about meeting anybody. Mm-hmm. And I remember Nate just sitting there like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> And then we get back into the training room. And I remember our first our first thing we did was like a problem, non-problem kind of thing that we kind of an exercise that you can do. It's an LP exercise. And I remember sitting there and there was three of us, him, me and another girl. And, you know, my grandma was having a hard time back then. And he was so his problem was that he, here he is in, in Edmonton. He's going through a divorce. So he's separated now. And his son lives um, a couple of hours away from Edmonton and his business is in Edmonton. So he's like feeling really like insecure about what his life is going to be. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, so you're basically want a girlfriend that wants like who is flexible and is like self independent. He's like, yes. And, 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 and I swear to you, as he was saying that I literally, my whole life flashed in front of me. And I just knew from that moment, it was just so weird. I was like, no, I just got like full body chills. (laughs) I swear to you, this happened. And then I was like, but I didn't pay attention to it, obviously, but it really was like that. I was just like, that's me. (laughs) And so I remember on break, I came up to him to clarify that I, in fact, was not a polyamorist. You're like, let, let me go over everything I was just I'm talking like, about. Listen, I, I know it sounded like I was into all these things. I'm like, but I'm actually not really into it. I'm just like, you know, looking to see what's out there, you know? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the day, I remember it was first day and he, we were walking out to go home and I'm like, oh, you're from Edmonton. He's like, yeah. He's like, you should come. I'll take you out for dinner sometime. And I was like, oh, in Edmonton? I'm like, I'm like, why don't you take me out for dinner here? <laughs> And he's like, okay. And so a couple of days later, he was like only eating meat at that point. He was a carnivore. So I, you know, we were in Italian area in Woodbridge. And so I messaged him. I'm like, I found his number and I texted him that I knew a good butcher in the area and <laughs> for him to get the steak at. And so that was my in kind of, I just felt something, and but I didn't know really what it was. And, you know, we started talking, we went out to the keg the next day and we were making out by the chin, by the fireplace by the end of the night, just completely, like, utterly in love. And those two weeks, we were in our master NLP training, but we were literally spending every night together. And just, it was like, a, it was wild. And, you know, at the end, we came out and said that here we are. And five months later, I moved to Edmonton. Yeah, but it was kind of like at first it was kind of like this fairy tale. It was just like this big love. Here I have been waiting for him and here he just showed up and for him too, he was just like all the things he's wanted, here she is. You know, and but once we I moved here, that's when we were started to get really tested as any relationship would. and you know, the sort of the mirage of the fairy tale started to disintegrate and here we were in reality with you know, my stuff, his stuff, and now the stuff of the world because COVID just started. And before that, when I first came, I decided to go and do an ayahuasca dieta for two weeks uh, in the jungle right before COVID. And so there I was like, did all my deepest work, came back and the whole, the whole country, the whole world is closed. 
And so that was really hard because I was just cut off from my community in Toronto. I couldn't visit nothing. And here nobody was doing anything either. And so here we are just me and him together in this new relationship. You know, he's still kind of dealing with his divorce. I am just like terrified because I'm like, did I make the right decision? Should I have moved here? Like, what did I do? I sold my condo. So I had like a bunch of money. And so, you know, I was just like not working because nothing was open. And so there I was just like spending all my money and it was just really hard for me. Um, and so we were put through some tests and, you know, sometimes we were just like, the connection just wasn't there. And I had to, we had to build it. It's because really sometimes it's just, it's just not there. You know, somebody's stressed, he's stressed, I'm stressed. And, you know, we're both kind of, there's some awkwardness sometimes, you know, and then you don't know how to navigate that area. And you don't want to hurt the person because you love them. And I remember just die. But I am the kind of person that I really thank God. I, when I love somebody, I will look for answers. And so I just dove deep into like, you know, different kinds of sex podcasts and doing my development even deeper and looking deeper into why I was reacting to it certain ways, why he was reacting to it a certain ways. And a lot of times I had to be like a very masculine kind of aspect in our relationship to hold it kind of grounded because he kind of has a lot of like PTSD from his previous relationship because it was just so volatile and so did I but I did all this work now to heal that but he was still there and so every time he would project I would have to hold space for him and tell him that he was safe here to just tell him to to tell me exactly what he was feeling even though I didn't want to hear it sometimes and sometimes I'm like I might not want to I'm not I might not like what you're saying you know, you might need to give me a minute, but I will hear you, but please try to do it in a way that I can receive it, like to do it kindly. Right. And that was kind of like the way we started, just do it kindly. And I would do it kindly back. And we would both just have these like really hard conversations um, that were coming from a place of kindness and love and compassion for one another, because we knew we owed each other at least that much, maybe not our life together, but an understanding and 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 we learned how to hold space for one another because truly that's necessary it's it's you know we all go through kind of ebb and flows in relationships sometimes sometimes the relationship is hot sometimes you know you have that passion for one another there's excitement there's fire and other times you know come february it's like it's like dead it's a dead zone everybody's just like you know just want to watch netflix and chill because you're just exhausted, it's dark outside, plus there's other things happening in your body, right? Not enough vitamin D, so you're just like struggling. And how do you how do you come together in those moments? And I think having enough trust in yourself to know that you can just hold that space without you know projecting is is really helpful. And 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 knowing when you are projecting because that that work really is invaluable. Because I, at this point, know when I'm projecting. If It's just, it's obvious to me because that voice, I, I know it so well. And so when I am projecting, I, I, I might be fooled for like maybe an hour to be in the, that story of the projection. But within like an hour or two hours, I see it and I'm just like, okay, that's my shit. Mm. Right. Or he, he'll also be like projecting, projecting and kind of bringing stuff into our relationship. And then. I'll just be like, well, you know, I see, I see you. Why don't you sit with that for a bit and see what that what that is all about, right? And then a couple of hours later, he's like, I'm sorry, babe, I know that's my shit, right? 
And so, but this is just the way that we walk our life at this point together. You know, like I even, um, in terms of marriage and stuff, I, yeah, would it be nice? I think it might be nice, but at the same time, I, at this point, I am also dropping my expectations because truly I don't really need that from us. I, this is somebody I, I want to build a partnership with and, and a life with, and I see us way beyond the sort of marital kind of bounds, you know, this is like deep soul love. And I think those are the hardest because you have to really learn so much about yourself over and over and over again and what you're bringing into the relationship. And a lot of times it's just showing up and putting effort in. And sometimes you don't want to because you're distracted with other things, work, this, that, this, that, right? But making intentional time to be together, to stay connected, to cultivate intimacy, right? That's what it's all about. It's, it doesn't come naturally sometimes to us because a lot of times we are closed off because maybe we're reacting to something or something, you know, we're feeling insecure about ourselves, right? Like that can happen to us women. And then all of a sudden we don't feel sexual, you know, but the cultivation of intimacy is a beautiful journey. And I think it's worth, it's worth uh, walking together. No, but it, it takes a lot of, it takes work. Like, I mean, this yeah. is the truth. Yeah. I see a relationship really. I mean, you were talking about that honeymoon phase not too long mm -hmm. ago. It's, it's really when that rose colored glasses have been taken off mm -hmm. the, the passion, not the passion has to die, but the newness of it, the, the novelty of it mm -hmm. will go away. Like anything you buy a new car that you love. Oh, it's great. You know, months, two later, it's, it's just a car. Same with the house, same with anything that is you know, an object within our life. And it's really that work that starts afterwards. Absolutely. And I've it really seen is like right about soul relationships as the biggest container for growth. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but I know Joe, he's like my mirror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he is my mirror for, you know, the shit that I'm not focused on myself you know if I'm annoyed with him I'm like why am I annoyed with that um if I can't say something to him or express myself you know I have to stop and ask myself like why do I not feel safe in this relationship to be able to express myself mm -hmm. and, and go a bit deeper mm -hmm. there and so how would you define like if we're going to put like a definition on like a conscious conversation how would you define that conscious conversation okay conscious conversation is being able to observe yourself and your thoughts and your own stories that are kind of projecting in your system. Also seeing who you're having the, con the conversation with and knowing their stuff and knowing what they're coming into the conversation with and kind of dancing in between all that. Because it's it's not it's it really is not simple, and there's so much like nuance in, in conscious conversations, and um, there's an element of truth that's present there that that is necessary, I think, um, and there's a, an element of self knowing that is necessary too, because if we are entering into a conversation and one of us is really unconscious, and one of us is aware. Well, it's going to be a frustrating conversation, probably, because you're probably not going to see things um, the way that, um, you know, that you're trying to to see things. Or sometimes if people are open, also a certain openness in conscious conversations, That because sometimes I, I can have the conversation even with Nate about something that he's unaware to. 
but he's mature. He, he has enough maturity emotionally to sit there and listen to me and actually, you know, try it on and think like, oh yeah, there's something here. You're right. Or, or no, or whatever. Right. And I think it's also understanding that somebody's not going to think the way that you think they're not, they're coming from a different background, different experiences. And so we can't just write people off because they don't agree with us or because, you know, they don't meet us where we need them to meet us or because they don't meet our expectations of the way that they should be, have to be, you know, um, it's, it's so much, but I think a big element of it too is, is, is coming to it with kindness and actually willingness to listen, because that I think is the biggest piece I would say, because it took me years to really learn how to listen. Um, expressing myself is easier than listening sitting there and just shutting my mouth and actually like actively listening to what the person is saying and not taking it personally and kind of zooming out of, of it a little bit and just kind of looking at what they're saying, not what it could possibly say about me. Yes, that's um, huge. That's huge too. Right. And yeah. so, um, but yeah, it takes, it takes effort and it takes a willingness to, to grow mm-hmm. because I do believe it's easy to misunderstand one another. Um, if we stay committed to the stories that are rising, right? Um, the stories, can, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We all have them, belief system stories that are that are constantly there. They're circulating in our system all the time, right? The, the unconscious is there. We're just not aware of it a lot of times. Um, but the stories are there. And, and a lot of times they're, they're, they're sneaky too. They're sneaky and, you know, they're kind of come up and they try to get us in a way um, because usually when we have a story or belief about something, we will find ways to find proof that that is true, mm-hmm. right? Because we essentially do want to be right in some ways. Um, and also really removing that aspect of wanting to be right. Like, I mean, even Ernie taught me this really early on, one of my coaches, um, you either want to be right or you want to get back to love, one or the other, right? It can't be both. Um, I find something that's really helped me um, with better communication, just being more conscious is really understanding uh, triggers and emotional reactions to triggers and kind of what you were just saying not too long ago about not taking it personally. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of relationships can be very triggering. They, people that we're closest to, we feel the most, we ironically, we feel the most vulnerable with because there's that aspect of rejection or love taken away or abandonment and all those you know, deep wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your understanding of, of triggers, um, triggering limiting beliefs and like, you know, the stories that go mm-hmm. through our mind? Talk to us about that. Well, they say that we project on the ones that we love the most because mm-hmm. it's easy because they're not, you know, technically they're kind of not going anywhere. Right. And so parents will project under their kids really easily because where are they going? They're not going anywhere. The kids will project on their parents because the parents are kind of there. They're not going anywhere. Same. It comes with relationships like friendships and partnerships. A lot of times there's it's just constant projections, really, because here we have the projections. What are they? They're unresolved issues that are just rising. Um, that are kind of then projecting onto the person through our own lens, right? Um, hold on, let me actually. Hold on. My computer is going to die. So. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I can chat while you're uh, uh, plugging that back in. It's interesting. Joe and I just this week had a, um, a hard conversation, I'll call it, and that's what we call them now, um, where I had said something and it triggered him and it triggered like a deep wound in him. And it was, you know, 
we had talked that night. We were up at five o'clock in the morning having like more of this hard conversation. And, you know, we sat there in raw and in truth and in pain. And it all came down to the story that he was telling himself about what I said. And like, finally, like when we were able to get to that point, because it either you can just keep talking to the point where you're just keeping talking and you're not resolving anything. You could just go your separate ways and everything gets pushed under the rug and then really nothing's being resolved. Or you can get down to really understanding people of like, why did that trigger you? And what was the story that you were telling yourself? Because in a conscious relationship where I don't purposely say anything that's going to hurt him, I don't want to hurt him, but I can't determine the story that he's going to create in his mind about something that comes out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And then the reality is someone cannot get triggered unless they have something unresolved about that. Right. You know, if I Absolutely. like we give meaning to everything. And so what is the meaning you're giving to what I said? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about triggers. Yeah, you know, projections are 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 really interesting because usually, you know, there's some really good work by Byron Katie. Uh, she talks a lot about uh, really getting down to the truth of what we're feeling, and so usually, you know, she has like a four question kind of. Um, uh, uh, process. You should look into it. It's uh, very yeah. interesting. It's like there's a thought coming through, right? Whatever it is, I'm, you know, you're this and this and that, and then you ask yourself, is it true? And so usually the person who really believes something will say, yes, it's true. And the second question is, is it really true? Is it? Wait, wait. wait. I'm gonna. I'm butchering it. Is, is it true? Is it? Is it absolutely true? And that I remember when I learned about that, that really made me understand my projections because is it true? Yes. So easy. Is it absolutely true? That's when you're like, well, absolutely. I'm not sure now if this is absolutely true. And so that's kind of like, I think the thing with stories and, 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 you know, cause projections are stories, you know, that are rising and it's just looking at those stories and really questioning them. Because I think a lot of us really believe our stories. And sometimes they're just coming from a place that's really unhealed and really sensitive and really tender. And sometimes, most of the time, it really has nothing to do with the people that are involved in the story. It's us that are are involved. And so for me, I think it's really helpful constantly to just ask myself, why do I feel this way? You know, is it true? Is what I'm saying is true? Is it absolutely true? And uh, triggers, you know, that's something that, you know, Gabor Mate talks about this a lot. He, you know, triggers are just without, you know, a trigger without the ammo is, 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 is just a trigger. And so the triggers are not going anywhere. This is something that's like part of life. This is not something we can just like condition ourselves out of. But the more we know what triggers us, Meaning the more we know what stories are sensitive within us, the more we know which emotions are still charged, which situations we haven't dealt with, that gives us information what the triggers are. And usually what is whenever you feel triggered, you'll feel a rise in your nervous system, right? You'll feel like in some kind of activation, either like a hyperactivation or a hypoactivation. Either you want to hide and run away or you want to, you know, or you want to run and freeze or you want to go into all these other places, and um, something with triggers, I mean, we're, I think we're going to constantly get triggered. This is something that's not going anywhere. This is just part of our human condition. Mm-hmm. I just think it's kind of learning that our trigger, just because I'm triggered doesn't mean something is wrong. Yeah. 
just because I'm triggered doesn't mean I did something wrong or that something is happening. It just could be, there could be some kind of something coming from within myself that is, that is needing some kind of resolution or is needing to, for me to look at. And a lot of it, I think trigger is just information at this point, but without the ammo, the trigger is just a trigger. And so we have to deal with the ammo. We have to deal with the charge. And that's where all of this kind of self-development and emotional and somatic work really comes in. Because the more we know about ourselves, the more we know what the hell is up. And the problem with people not knowing what their triggers are all about is because they're not doing the work. They're, you know, this is the truth. And this is not to, to, to kind of say that people are this or that and everybody's walking their own path and I had to really learn this but in reality this is something that you need you can know by yourself right and there's different ways of knowing this you know getting a therapist doing somatic work doing psychedelics doing whatever you know there's different ways to do this breath work um courses right like there's so much out there at this point there's so much information that if we're not in the process of going inwards, if we're constantly looking for answers outside of ourselves and love and validation and affection and all of that, um, it's going to be really hard for us to know ourselves. But triggers, they're just information, really. Um, and But if when we have a process with ourselves and we actually have and cultivated like a relationship with ourselves and our inner landscape, then they're not so they're kind of easier to spot. They don't become these big triggers anymore. You know, they're just kind of like, hello, you know, like I remember, I don't know if you've, um, you know, Ram Das, he talks about his uh, neuroses, you know, he says, you know, they're still here, you know, they, you know, the anger, you know, sometimes he gets pissed off when somebody didn't set up his mic right or something. And he's just like, ah, you know, but he says, but now he goes, he says that now when they come up in his system, they're like schmooze. They just, you know, he just invites them over for some tea, you know, it's kind of like, they're still there, but they're in your awareness, but you're aware of it. You're not reactionary. You're not reacting to it. You're just like, oh, there you are. Oh, hello. That's really nice of you to show up, right? And kind of like, it's like even, you know, there's a, a song um, by East Forest that he says, you know, you know, instead of we have to, we have to become teammates with our ego. And, um, and that's when we kind of can recognize these parts within ourselves that are still hurt or they're still charged up about something or whatever and we kind of have to invite them into the system and say well what do you need what do you need for me right and sometimes they just want to be acknowledged they just want to feel seen that and not be swept under the rug because the sweeping under the rug it only hurts everybody i think okay so maybe it's a solution for a really period maybe sometimes you know you sweep it under the rug today because maybe we're too charged to talk about it and today we can just kind of, you know, ease off, but maybe, maybe in a couple of days, right. When we're ready to actually face ourselves and face each other and be in kind of conscious communication, um, then we bring it up. Right. And, um, there's kind of different ways of doing it, but yeah, it's just, it's just work, just self self work. What are some of the things that you have seen you or Nathan or the two of you together to create a, a safe space for communication? A, a, a safe place of neutrality, I guess we'll say. Mm -hmm. Safe space for neutrality. Well, I won't bring things up unless I'm ready to have the conversation. So usually even if I'm feeling something is off about, you know, I'm upset about something, there's something percolating in my system. He doesn't love me all of a sudden, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever story, whatever story is coming through. 
I'm just, I give it a good, maybe a day, maybe a couple of days sometimes to just kind of observe it for a little while and see what it is. So that when I come to him and express myself, it's clear. It's not just like mumbo jumbo and I'm I'm just in my emotional rea- reaction. And sometimes a day goes by and I'm like, oh shit, this is not even about Nate. <laughs> yeah. Or you forget it some, and it's just or, like or, gone. Exactly. And so sometimes I think it's important to kind of maybe step back and observe it for a little while and see what it is. Uh, and then usually, usually a couple of days later, it's still there, you know, sometimes. And there I am still kind of you know, pissed off about something or feeling like my needs are not being met about something or, you know, but then I usually turn it inwards and I ask myself, well, where have I, have I communicated this to him? Does he know that I need this? Does he know that, does he know this information or like, am I just expecting him to just read my mind? Right. Cause that's, that's again, leading us to disappointment. Nobody is he, nobody, even conscious people, nobody's a mind reader. You know, I'm not a mind reader and I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty aware, but sometimes you just don't know. You don't know. You need to be told. And, and just like him, sometimes truly I have to literally sit him down and say, this is what I need, babe. I need you to hear me. This is what I need. And then I ask him, what do you need? You know, and that kind of, but we've been in this process for a little while. So it's a little bit easier now to kind of do this because Usually it's kind of even similar things sometimes. Sometimes I have to like reiterate, hey, listen, you know, I've told you this a couple of times, but it feels like you haven't listened and like, I really need this. Da, 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 da. And then he's like, you know, and then he hears me, but also really making sure that the safe is the, the space doesn't have a charge, right? So when we kind of kind of remove the charge a little bit, then we can create some opening to actually talk. But if I'm emotionally charged and I'm really coming in hot with the stuff that's like really alive in me, then quite possibly he might not hear me because he might shut down because he cannot receive information that way because of his previous relationship. And so I know that's not going to work. If I need him to hear me, I need him to be in a very receptive place. So if he's like really tripping about something at work and he's just really distracted right now because he's trying to solve a problem with his business then I kind of give it another couple of days, right? So that he's in a space of openness and I'm in a space of like where my charge is off, right? And that's how I do it. But he doesn't know how to do that, for example. He will just keep keep it inside of himself until it starts to be in his body. And then I notice it. Something is wrong because I know him so well at this point and I know when he's in his power and I know when he's not. And so I usually smell it like a mile away and I'm just like, something's cooking here. And usually I kind of have an inkling that it's something between us, but he just doesn't want to, he's afraid to say something because he's afraid to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And usually I have to be the one to kind of pull it out of him and say like, Hey, is like, you know, do you want to talk? Is there something that, you know, you're feeling? And sometimes he, he can't even communicate it in that moment. He needs like a day to process it to because we all have a different way of communicating. I'm very open and I can actually I can express myself much easier and I can kind of spot my thoughts easier. I know what I'm feeling easier. I know what I need easier. But for him, it takes him much longer to actually even understand what he needs or what he's thinking or right, because sometimes it comes out and it's like it's hurtful, but he doesn't actually mean it that way. He just doesn't know how to like form it yet. 
And so we, I think we have to be patient with each other also. And, you know, there's no, there's no manual for relationships. I think, especially coming from the places that we've come from, you know, our parents, I don't know about you, but you know, my parents is as amazing as they are, but deeply codependent and, you know, they're life partners and that's it, you know, there's no going anywhere they're together and that's it. And, and, and they're good together, you know, but also, you know, they sweep things under the rug and they, you know, forgive each other for whatever. And, uh, and in our relationship, I just knew right away after my previous relationship that I did not want to have a relationship like that. And I want to have an honest and open relationship and we can tell each other everything. And um, let's, let's, and, and we both, it's up to us to both create that space of safety and comfort and understanding and love and kindness and, um, and it's, you know, it takes effort and sometimes it's effortless and sometimes you really need to create the space for it and um, be patient sometimes. It doesn't come right away. Um, but I think it's something really worthwhile because like you said, I think relationships, especially romantic relationships, partnerships are the best learning containers there is because you can't avoid yourself no matter how hard you try. Alone, if I was single, I could have probably procrastinated for another 10 years to get to do the things that I really needed. But being with him, I, it, it almost like reflects to me, no, I have to, if I'm expecting him to address his stuff, if I want him to do the work, then I have to be leading that party Absolutely. also, right? And I have to lead by example. And this is something I learned even from my friendships, expecting people to meet me where I am at this point is just silly. Because I know it just doesn't, it's, it doesn't work this way. But what I can do is I can lead by example as, as much as I can. And I can cultivate the spaces that I need and that I want. And, and whoever wants to meet me there will meet me there. And whoever doesn't, doesn't. And at this point, it's almost like I'm also practicing a little bit of non-attachment. It's like, you know, some, some relationships kind of have an expiration point. And that's just where, what it is, you know? Yes. Oh, I, I love that you were touching on their um, like non-romantic relationships. And we were talking about this uh, before mm -hmm. we hit record, um, just about expectations of relationships and ensuring that you have the right container for someone to hold you and understanding that and not having, um, yeah, unrealistic relationships. So I'd love for you to go into that from like a, a, like a platonic perspective in relationships and whether it's your girlfriends or um, male friends. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I have a lot of really deep like sister relationships because I'm an only child and I just love women so deeply and I, I, I've been very lucky that I have amazing women in my life just solid 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 women who have supported me endlessly and who I have supported endlessly and just very deep bonds and so with that because of a sister's kind of like aspect to it, because I've never actually had sisters, you know, for me, it's really easy to attach myself to these relationships. Um, and sometimes it's very reciprocated, right? Like there's similar attachment that's involved. And usually it's both like insecure attachments. So we're just holding to each other for our dear life, right? But a lot of times it's really, you know, one of my relationships recently in the last couple of years, one of my sisters, um, and she's, uh, she's wonderful. And she, you know, she taught me this because I had these really high expectations out of her. And but I loved her so much that I wasn't even afraid to tell her. But sometimes it would just kind of slip out and I would tell her, hey, you know, like, I, I feel like you don't love me or something. And she'd be like, oh, my God, babe, don't be ridiculous. I love you so much. And I knew this. I knew it in my body. So it was just like so silly that I would be thinking these things. 
um, or if she didn't reply to me on time or something ridiculous, you know, I would, I would take it in some kind of strange, very um, uh, personal way. Like I am, I am this person that she's avoiding or something, or she doesn't make time for me because I'm not important in her life or whatever the hell I was thinking. Right? It, yeah. It's so funny. And then, <laughs> And then it took me a couple of years of really sitting on that and really kind of, um, you know, observing that. And because she, you know, we are all living our life and everybody's busy and everybody has commitments. And especially when you have partnerships, relationships, businesses, you know, all the things work, um, health issues. Then you're going through deep, dark nights of the soul every other week. You know what I mean? Like some <laughs> of us, you know what I mean? So sometimes you're in like these deep spaces of processing and like yeah. you really don't have any space to hold for anybody. And um, it took me a while to really look at that and, and understand that it wasn't about me, that it's, it, 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 this is just, this is, she's, she's doing her life. And sometimes she doesn't have enough space for me to hold me as she's holding herself and her own stuff. But it took me this year with um, another really, really, really strong relationship, very, a sister, a, a deep relationship where, uh, you know, it was expressed to me that, you know, I don't meet her needs as a friend. And that's when I kind of really understood the learnings came to me that I couldn't meet her needs as a friend in that moment because I was also dealing with so much on my plate. Uh, and I tried, but it wasn't enough for her, right? And I remember feeling kind of hurt about it that, you know, here I am being held to this ridiculous standard of friendship that I've been here all along but right now I'm not meeting your needs and right away I'm not a good friend. Right. So that makes no sense. And so I think, and that's when I really, uh, this learning came to me that we have to meet people in the space that they're available in. And this comes, this goes to everybody, even our romantic partnerships, even our, our relationships with our parents, everybody, you know, sometimes people are expecting me to show up for them, but really I'm just not available for it. And doesn't mean I don't love them. Doesn't mean I'm not I'm not going to show up in a week. Maybe it'll give me a week, right, or two weeks, right, or something like that. But it's um, and and then I remember saying to her, "Well, I need I need you to tell me what you need." And you know, she said, "I would never say anything. I would never ever tell anybody, any of my friends, that I need this, because I would expect them to intuitively meet me there." And she said, and I thought we had that bond, that intuitive bond, and we do. But at the same time, when you are dealing with trying to launch a business, grandpa dying, uh, stuff at home, you know, sometimes you're just not at uh, in the capacity to actually be there for somebody in a way that they need you to be there. But it doesn't mean, you know, you're forgotten or the, the friendship is not is, is not strong. It's just truly, I really remember that coming strongly to me. We have to be able to meet people at the capacity that they are available in. That's it. It's it, it really is that simple because sometimes even the ones that love us the most cannot meet us where we need them to. And it doesn't mean the relationship is not solid. It doesn't mean there's no love there. It just means they're not available. And so we need to have more than one person. We need to have more than five people. That support system is like something that, and sometimes we have to actually ask for what we need. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, even I don't want to, you know, text my sisters and say like, I need you to like hold space for me today because I'm freaking losing it, right? And because you don't want to sound that way, you don't want to sound needy, you don't want people to feel sorry for you, pity you, all the things. But 
I'm really learning more and more that in order to, for our, our relationships to meet us where we actually need them to, and when we need them to, we actually have to ask for it sometimes and say, hey, I actually need you to meet me here. Can you please meet me here? And I need you right now. Or if not tonight, tomorrow. And if that person says, hey, listen, I'm actually not in the capacity to meet you here right now because I'm, I'm a mess myself. And so it won't be productive. And sometimes you have to be like wise enough to say and like it won't be productive. With, honest with Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. It just won't be productive. I, I cannot handle any more on my plate. Um, and to have that transparency in a relationship and actually and communication. It's just communication, it's healthy communication. Mm-hmm. And and then having understanding, okay, who can who else can I resource at this point? If my sister right now, who I really needed for this, is not available because she's also dealing with her own stuff, doesn't mean she doesn't love me, doesn't mean she doesn't want to hold the space for me. She does. But here we are in this predicament. Now, who do I resource? How do I resource myself? And this is where we lose and give away our power, essentially, because we, and this is where all of the self-development and all of the self-knowing and self-wisdom really comes in, is that we actually can resource more, right? Other people in our lives, um, other tools in our lives, ourselves, in whatever, different ways, right? Um, But if we actually are not communicating, even with ourselves, what do we actually need right now? How do we actually get to the solution of it, right? Or or or, or helping somebody hold that space for us? Because sometimes there's no solution. Somebody you just want, you just need somebody to listen. Or you just want to just, you know, vomit your information onto somebody and you just want them to hold it without giving you that advice. Or, you know, and it, it I'm not, I'm not still like a pro at this, but I, I think this is something that is going to take a lifetime to master. Um, because again, taking that personal not taking it personally, first of all, right? And the four agreements, I mean, don't take it personally, right? That's one of them. And that is one of, I think that's really truly is one of the biggest things that we have because a lot of times it's really not about us. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Um, I know for myself and I'm curious uh, with you, with learning to be transparent in relationships, learning yourself and your boundaries and what you can hold, learning how to have open, hard conversations, learning how to hold space and have space held for you. How has that been impactful on your nervous system? Um, I mean, it's a game changer. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, sometimes we just need to be held, you know, we've truly, and, and, and in different ways, not necessarily just physically, just, um, you know, as somebody who holds space for people in their most vulnerable of spaces, even me, sometimes I have to just tell myself inside to shut up, shut up and just be here. You don't need to solve anything for them. You don't need to fix anything for them. Just be here. Maybe you can offer a hand, maybe <laughs> offer a hand and, and, and see where that takes you. Right. Because sometimes even me, like, you know, the wounded healer archetype, obviously very, very prominent in my system is by healing myself. I'm healing you by healing other helping others heal. I'm kind of helping myself heal. And so I had to kind of get away from that because nobody can solve anything for you, but it's invaluable to be able to be held in a very vulnerable space and just be seen in it without trying to solve it, without trying to push it anywhere, fix it, just express it and have somebody hold it for you. Right. And same with yourself, expressing it to yourself. Like, hey, today I'm feeling like yesterday I was having a very heavy day and the day before I was loving life to the max. You know, like driving through the city, just like singing at the top of my lungs and just like, wow, 
And yesterday I woke up with this like heavy elephant on my shoulders and my chest. And there I was. And, you know, my usual, um, my usual coping strategy from the last 10 years would have been to maybe take a little bit of cannabis, right? Um, and just kind of, you know, wash it, wash it, wash it over a little bit, have it a little bit dispersed. And usually that helps, right? It doesn't really fix anything, but it kind of helps take the focus off it. But I was just like, okay, I'm feeling heavy today. This is where I am. This is just, I'm having a heavy day and, and we're just gonna do what we need to do to flow through this day. And, that means I'm not going to do as much work today, or I'm not going to be as productive today. I'm just going to, what do I need? I need, I need, I need, um, I need safety. I need to feel safe. I need to feel comfortable. I need to feel soothed. Right. And what can I do? What can I do for myself today? And, you know, thank God I had a face massage booked. And so I knew I had till 2:45 to feel that way. And by the time I was there, it was done. Yeah. And so it's just, I think, yeah, the, the fixing it, it doesn't need to be fixed sometimes, you know, sometimes you really have a problem you want a solution for, right? And and fair enough. But a lot of times really we just want to be express ourselves and be held without judgment, without our own kind of projections in that situation or what I would do, what I, you know, how I would handle this and just listen and um, and sometimes just offer a hand, right? Offer a hand on the shoulder, it's it's really so small sometimes like most people don't need a lot they don't even know how much they need until that moment comes and just the slightest thing can, can your make presence, the biggest just difference. your presence absolutely yeah. absolutely and that's why a lot of my um learnings on this have come from you know doing sitting people with psychedelics when they're in their most vulnerable of 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 spaces and, you know, a part of me wants to just like swoop in there and just hold them like a little baby, because here I am the big mother and I'm just going to hold them. And I have to sometimes really, and they're reaching for me, <laughs> they're reaching for me. And here I am just this close and I can just offer them myself, but then kind of understanding that it's not going to fix anything. It's just going to maybe kind of, you know, be not, not the right medicine that they need right now. And sometimes, you know, it is the right medicine. When sometimes there is that like reach for, you know, physical reach and you meet them with your hands, right? Or you just hold them like a baby. Sometimes they really need that. And it's just kind of gauging on what the person needs. And it's an art. It's an art. Thank you. This has been a beautiful conversation. You're out in Alberta. Um, yes. I know you hold space for people, um, you know, psychedelics, breath work, somatic work. Uh, mm-hmm. How can we find you, connect with you, creep you? I'm on Instagram uh, under Galena Siver, just my name. I'm on Facebook. I don't use Facebook as much, but um, still a little bit there. Um, but Instagram is a really good place. Um, I resist it, but I am there. <laughs> I love the story. I love the story. <laughs> just <Yeah>. hate posting. <laughs> uh, and my website, I just recently relaunched my website, galenasiver.com. And you can see my offerings. I have breathwork offerings. I have uh, my plant medicine offerings. I don't really advertise, but kind of like through word of mouth. And it's not really on a on a website <laughs> for, for now. And uh, my coaching work. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's where I am. I'm in Edmonton. And so anybody from Edmonton, how are you, girl? Yeah. Yeah, I had someone reach out on Instagram the other week and they're like, we need people out West. Like, I think she was from Alberta. So I'm going to connect with her. And I'll cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to finally be stepping into um, this work because for a long time, I really felt unworthy and who am I to do this? You know, 
you know, I don't know enough. All these people know more, more than me. And so it really had, I had to really um, embody a lot of this knowing that I've been uh, learning and now just trying things and, and putting myself out there and just trusting that the right opportunities will bring me to the right spaces. And uh, yeah, this journey never stops. It's just, even when you are trusting, life asks you to trust more. And, um, and that's where I'm at. I'm just trusting. And so I, I knew I had to reach out to you and cause I, I, I've been seeing you and I always, I'm like, Oh my God, look at Sarah. She's just freaking showing up nonstop. One post ever another over, 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 over. I'm like, how does she do it? How does she do it? She's a freaking maniac. How does she do it? And here you are just showing up and you're just following your journey and you're following what feels good for you. And you are modeling really for some of us who are, you know, still afraid to come forward and really show ourselves and show our voice and our faces and what we really do and be out in the open with it and have the conversations and take the risks. You're modeling that behavior. And I want you to know that. Thank you so yeah, it's much. really it's inspiring, and I'm we're really, all channels. Uh, we're all just channels, right? And we're channeling something. Everybody's channeling if it, something. If it feels Absolutely. good, I show up and talk about it. Yes, so. good for you. I think it's amazing. I think I, I I've been seeing you showing up, and I just I um I just knew we had we had something here. Yeah. I just knew it. It was a great Thanks. conversation. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Galena. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, darling. Have a beautiful day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode today. My website, simplysara.com is a great place for me to continue to support you on your journey to alignment, joy, and fulfillment. There you will find upcoming retreats that I am hosting, resources, books, and many other helpful tools to help you on your travels through this thing called life.